The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Okay, that should... Oh, roll it back here a bit. There we go. Yeah, that should just about wrap up episode 25. Huh, has it really been 12 months already? I mean, did we really launch this twice-monthly podcast about the stories, issues, and people from Kawartha Lakes, along with some great opening sketches, one year ago today? I wonder if the listeners are aware that... Oh, hang on, I, I better get the door. What the? A marching band with members at least two tuba lengths apart right outside my home slash studio of the Advocate podcast? What's the occasion? Oh, oh, there's a group of people safely distanced each with their own blowhorn. I wonder what they're going to shout. Happy birthday, Advocate podcast! Ah, shucks. Thanks, supportive crowd. Well, I got to get back to wrapping up our last show of season one. Or maybe it's the first show of season two. Yeah, you know what? Let's go with that. Vaccine hesitancy is an interest of mine. And, and, and I, I think the first thing to, to acknowledge is that we, we do have a society that's more questioned than it was 50 years ago. Dr. Gamel gets it. But our acting medical officer of health also has the experience and wisdom to convince skeptics that rolling up your sleeve for the needle is the smart thing to do. That's in today's show. Rebecca Reeds is returning home via your computer to perform as part of the Food Source's annual comedy fundraiser, virtual style. This is an interview I was excited to do. Rebecca is a smart and very funny stand-up that I met years ago when I was performing in a comedy club in Ottawa. But she grew up right here in Kawartha Lakes. Fenlon Falls hasn't had a performance art centre since, well, has it ever? Because it does now, we'll talk to the impresario behind that brand new and outdoor theatre. And throughout the show, a tour amongst the talking trees. Yeah, you heard me right. Hey, we're now a year old. Time to blow out that single candle and grab a big hunk of show. My name is Denny Grignell, and this is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Yes, talking trees, sort of, if you use your imagination, which is actually quite easy here. Ken Reed Conservation Area's Talking Forest is a new program where, with the assistance of a free phone app, you simply stroll along a trail and using GPS technology, or what I like to refer to as magic, that tree over there, the one you're approaching, or that stump, they just start talking to you on your phone. So zip up your coat, toque over your ears, and accompany me and KRCA's Christy Virgo. So this is our first stop here, uh, Christy? Up, up through here, yep, right through the, right at the edge of the Woodland Forest Loop. I've taken my glasses off so my, <laughs> because they were fogging up on me with the mask. But what should I look for as I'm walking through this trail so that I'll know? Absolutely nothing. You don't have to look for anything. The app does all the work for you. So you just open the app, keep your phone awake, and then as you walk through, it calls you and lets you know what's going on. And it shows, it shows you on the screen where the active trees are, but you don't have to do anything. You just walk until it starts to talk to you. 
like to tell you how happy we are to see you here. Look around for a moment. I mean, really look around. What do you see? What do you hear? Ken Reed Conservation Area is a very busy place, and there are creatures busy at work all throughout our forest. From squirrels to rabbits, snakes and turtles, deer and fox, the list goes on and on. I haven't even begun to talk about the birds. But not that long. As you walk through here, how do you decide what parts of the forest are going to be personified and talk to me? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things we have to take into consideration. The distance between trees to make sure that people don't get too cold. If you're stopping too often, you get too cold in the wintertime. Um, but you want to also make it so that they're close enough that people don't start scratching their head going, did I miss something? Did I miss a tree? Oh, um, so this is less about the actual finding of a very specific tree and it's more about mapping it out because you're thinking of everything from their cardio to keeping warm? <laughs> that's right. So there's that side of it. And then there's also the side from, you know, we're looking at it saying, what are the stories that we want to tell? Right? So where are the key features on the property that we really want to highlight for folks? Well, there's lots of stories. So how do you determine those? <laughs> well, I have a lot of stories that didn't make the cut. <laughs> um, and we're hoping to use them in other areas. But, you know, what? in this case, what we tried to do was give a really nice um, variety of the different types of trees that grow here at Ken Reed that are quite popular and to highlight some of the areas of concern that we have. What so, would be an area of concern? Um, things like garbage on the trail, you know, the emerald ash borer is one. So we talk about ash trees and the impact of emerald ash borer on them. And we talk a lot about um, different storms that go through. And so the next tree that we're coming up to, we'll talk a little bit about the ice storm back a couple of years ago that hit. And we lost so many trees. And so people, when they're walking through, they see these trees all toppled in the forest. And so just trying to explain to them the importance of the ecology and why they're there, why we don't clean them up. Um, you know, the, the value that they bring to the forest, even though it looks kind of messy, it still has, a, has an important role to play. Allow me to introduce myself. So you can see the tree here I'm on the app. Yeah. So he says he's the white pine. So right here. And you have the actual picture of the white pine on your phone. That's right. First unheard message. Hey there, it's Warren from Lindsay here. On behalf of myself and all the guys in heaps, we want to wish a happy first birthday to the Advocate Podcast. We listen to this podcast because it is a great way to get to know more about culture and arts and community where we live. Have a great one. End of message. So close. Actually, we've arrived. The vaccines are now here in Kawartha Lakes, not yet widely available beyond a group that includes residents and employees of long-term and retirement homes, but it won't be long before we can all roll up our sleeves. I know I'll roll up mine with complete confidence, and I'm hoping you will too, right? Unless you're not one of those who's hesitant, are you? Indeed, vaccine hesitancy is real. It's a mental hurdle all healthcare experts like Dr. Ian Gemmel recognize they have to help many overcome if we're going to beat this thing. Dr. Ian Gemmel is the acting medical officer of health for the Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. He'll be part of a virtual town hall on Tuesday, which you can join for free. But he's on the line with me now, virtually. Uh, Dr. Gemmel, thank you so much for uh, for making the time for us. Well, thanks for having me, Denise, and uh, giving me a chance to some of the information out there that people need to have to be able to know 
what to do uh, during this pandemic. Well, let's uh, let's get to that in a moment. But what I was hoping you could do is take me back to that time in December, Dr. Gemmel, when we learned that we would actually have a vaccine, that there was that there were vaccines uh, available. What what was your reaction? Well, my first reaction was delight, if I can say that. Uh, and the reason I say that is because in my career, I've dealt with a number of situations in which we've had outbreaks of various infectious diseases. And um, while uh, there are things that we can do to try to control them, like you know, not gathering, not traveling, wearing our masks and washing our hands, the only thing that I've ever run across that has really definitively made an outbreak stop in its tracks, and I hope it'll do the same for the pandemic, is a vaccine. I'm, I was amazed that we actually, within a year of having a pandemic, <laughs> um, you know, affect the, uh, the entire world, uh, that we had a vaccine that uh, I believe is going to make a difference. And also just really pleased that the vaccine had as, um, uh, was safe, but also had as uh, um, high uh, level of, of effectiveness as it has, which is 95% in the case of the two that we now have licensed in Canada. I think most people were were somewhat surprised at the expediency of it all, but it is it is also it seems to be at the root of well, well the, the term we know is vaccine hesitancy. Either those people who are just outright not going to have it, or they're taking that wait and see approach. So, so given all of that, um, how are you bracing yourself? for that vaccine hesitancy within the community? Because you had to know that given the speed with which this was developed, there were people going to be going, whoa, I don't know. How, how do you react to that? Well, the first thing I have to say to me is that um, the platform, the technology for the platform had been developed and it's been around for over a decade. So that part of it is not new. What was new is somebody who had the brilliant idea of taking the uh, messenger RNA and uh, tagging it onto these systems so that we could get uh, vaccines done in a short order. Uh, the other thing that happened was that when they did the clinical trials, they did a, a kind of a new process in which uh, they called rolling clinical trials. So normally in the past, people would, would have done a, a section of the clinical trial, waited, collected all the data, and then um, uh, 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 analyzed. Um, with the rolling ones, what they do is they actually take observations throughout the trial and they make adjustments based on the observations to date which speeds up the process. And it's a new way of doing business, uh, but I can assure people that it was not a question of taking shortcuts. And now we have millions, millions of people who have received them worldwide without, uh, shall we say, uh, major serious side effects showing up. We're just lucky. We're lucky we got a vaccine quickly. We're lucky we got a vaccine that works. And we got, we're lucky that we got a vaccine that uh, uh, has been demonstrated already uh, to be uh, safe to give to everybody. Now, those are all very cogent, sound arguments. I just wonder for that person in Corth Lakes or anywhere for that matter who says, yeah, you know what, I, I'm, and let's face it, there are some people you are never going to convince. So how do you take all that information, all those sound arguments and, and try and sure. convince that person who's either on the fence or no, I'm not doing it. How do you, how do you convince them? Well, vaccine hesitancy is an interest of mine. And, and, and I, I think the first thing to, to acknowledge is that we, we do have a society that's more questioned than it was 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I think uh, it was just a question, take them in and get them as shots because that's what you do as a parent. Now people have questions and they also they have not, they don't see the, uh, the effects that uh, some of these diseases have. Now, coronavirus, we do see. 
So I think that's one reason why uh, the, the hesitancy may be lower than it uh, is with uh, perhaps some other vaccines. Um, we've uh, looked at the um, rates of uh, willingness to take the vaccine, and it has actually gone up with this winter of lockdown, this winter of illness, and people perhaps seeing uh, family members who have either had complications or perhaps even died from coronavirus, which is really, really unfortunate. You're right. There are people who will not take a vaccine, and there are a very tiny minority, and uh, that, uh, there's nothing with it really I think you or I can do about that. But there are a lot of people out there who have questions. And I think the questions actually are quite reasonable. And you raised the issue of this vaccine was produced very quickly. I think that's a reasonable question to answer. So I guess uh, the most important thing for us to do as public health people is to be there to answer the question so that people can feel assured and they have to feel good and they have to feel confident. You can look at all the data you want to, but people have to have a good feeling about something before they're willing to either have themselves or uh, um, more specifically their family members, like an older family member immunized. Um, so I think the way we address this is through good information and through good communication and being willing to answer questions and to do it in a truthful and in a sincere way. And also I think that the last thing I'd say is to make sure that as we're rolling out these programs that they're rolled out in ways that seem to be fair and seem to be um, uh, uh, transparent. These are the ways I think we will gain trust. I'm just wondering about the messaging because it, especially when it comes to Kawartha Lakes, and I know every community feels they're unique, uh, but we have empirical evidence that the vaccine hesitancy, it's found on Bay Street. It's also found mm -hmm. in small towns and farming communities like the ones in Kawartha Lakes. And that's yeah. really what, what our community is largely made up of. So how does that shape your messaging, just trying to reach those people in that latter group? We won't be rolling out this vaccine probably for several more weeks because the supply is so limited at the moment. So that gives us lots of time to answer uh, people's questions. Um, there's no place on earth, this is a pandemic, that is going to be uh, completely protected from this. And while the cases may be smaller currently because we don't have the same population uh, concentration, we know from experience with other infection diseases like influenza, that eventually every part of our population is uh, affected. And so therefore, in a way, uh, perhaps the smaller rural places have a bit of an advantage in that they um, uh, are going to be affected uh, later, which gives more time to ask the questions and to get vaccines into arms so that we get the population protected before the uh, virus becomes a major issue. We have had fewer cases in, uh, say, um, uh, uh, Halliburton, some parts of Northumberland, and, uh, uh, Kawartha Lakes, but it's not, but everywhere is affected. Uh, we, we have cases in every part of this area. We just don't have the same amplification. I guess the message has to be that uh, in a way, if we're not yet affected, um, that's lucky. It gives us time, but um, in a pandemic, there is no um, population that's going to be um, completely protected from this. Let's face it, like about 98% of the Canadian population is still susceptible and still can get this disease. So we have an opportunity to get the vast majority of this population immunized. And the other beautiful thing about vaccines are, yes, it provides you and me with our individual 95% protection, but it also, if we have enough people in the population immunized, it also gives our population protection. So let's suppose somebody is unable to take the vaccine uh, because the virus no longer can um, uh, spread from person to person to person, uh, then, uh, then uh, uh, it actually will fade away. Probably not completely, but it'll fade away to some degree. And that protects even the people uh, who uh, can't be immunized. So it really is not just me or you getting the vaccine. It's all of us 
this vaccine is effective, which means that out of every 20 people, 19 are protected. One isn't, and for that reason, it's really incumbent upon all of us to be immunized to protect that one person, but also uh, the children. Our children can't get this vaccine at the moment. And so therefore, there is a significant part of our population that uh, can't be immunized and we want them to be protected. And the way to do that is by having community-based protection so that this virus can no longer circulate. We have an opportunity to drive this into the ground and I hope that everybody will um, work together to make that happen. Hi, this is Valerie from Duncan, British Columbia. I'd like to wish the Advocate Podcast a very happy first birthday. I live on Vancouver Island now, but I grew up in Rayboro, and I love listening to stories with familiar names and places. It really brings back that sense of community that I grew up with. All that and some great local music, too. Now I'm going to go eat some birthday cake. Next message. Hello, it's Glenda Morris calling in from Lindsay to say happy first birthday, Advocate Podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I love the idea of one that's just about us, us and the coordinates. And thanks to Wards for the sponsorship. Yes, indeed. A big, huge thanks going out to Wards Lawyers. You can find them at wardlegal.ca. Now, let me just take a moment here to be emphatic about this. Wards Lawyers has been the exclusive sponsor of the Advocate Podcast since day one. Exactly one year ago, as we mark our first anniversary with this episode, their generous support is the reason you have never once had to hear me prattle on for three minutes about some mattress in a box. Ward's Lawyers, thank you. Yes, Carissa and Jason and your team, you offer a full range of legal services, but you are also big boosters of this community, and we are better because of it. Kind of hard sometimes to imagine we will all be able to assemble again, reveling, laughing, celebrating, but it's coming, maybe even this summer. And when we can, the Grove Theatre will be there waiting for us. The brand new outdoor performance venue in Fenland Falls is in full prep mode for its inaugural season, which will include concerts and plays and a summer festival. But its artistic director and founder, Christy Yale, is expecting the Grove to be more than just a theatre. Christy, who spent her summers in Fenland since she was a child, spoke to me recently from her home in San Diego. This creates a bricks and mortar um, hub, like cultural community meeting place to bring all of the, the desperate art organizations together as a performance space, as a community gathering space, as a, as a cultural hub to bring all of this, this energy together. Why was it important for you to to create this? Um, I grew up in the arts. My first professional production, I was in elementary school. I was a child when I first started in the theater. And it it changed me and shaped me. And, and I know how significant it can be, how, how life-changing it can be. It's an opportunity to entertain, but it's also an opportunity to present um, ideas and to, to um, to open up the community to interesting conversations that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And it can be a really powerful, um, you know, activator for, for social change and social discussion. And, and that part I'm deeply passionate about as well. Well, let's talk about the uniqueness of, of Fenland because every community has its own distinct characteristics. What did you look at in terms of the people there and the culture um, that would be specific so in the programming of this theater? 
you know, what one person and one part of the community is looking for isn't necessarily what the other part of the community is looking for. And how do we bring all of those things together? So some people want to see Shakespeare play and some people want to see a musical and some people are just interested in the touring um, country music band and some people are interested in a faith-based service that can use the space for a special celebration. That um, there's a whole myriad of, of uses, so it's not just about how do we program a, a season of play. It's much, it's much bigger than that. It's how does this um, physical space become a a community resource? Like a lot of people, I was, uh, I guess, I can say, inspired to see that it's an outdoor theater. So why why did you go with a an outdoor venue versus one with you know, four walls and a and a roof. Um, it's interesting because now that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, we're like, well, good thing it was an outdoor <laughs> amphitheater. But um, it it was never anything but. Tim Weisner uh, was um, instrumental in finding the right space and and really knowing what the right space needed to be. And has you know, we've been working on this for a. a a couple of years now, and uh, and it took us some time to figure out what that right space might be. But it always it was always an outdoor, mm-hmm. an outdoor amphitheater because it's you know because of the beauty of the area. There is something very magical about watching theater out outdoors under the stars. It creates a, a sort of different appeal on a multi generational level. So, you know, bringing your kids and, and the kids bringing their grandparents. The goal, the hope is that by year 10, we can start building out to include more than just the, the Summer Theater Festival. Next message. Danny tells stories about Kawartha Lakes From Downeyville up to Sturgeon Point He's got great guests and so much more The podcast is first rate this is Lindsay Native Guy saying happy birthday and congratulations on the first year of the podcast. Man, I love this spot. It's a great spot to listen to the forest. Want to give it a try? Go ahead. Just close your eyes for a second and get really quiet. I'll be quiet too. So how did you go about recruiting the voices to personify the trees and the stones and the hills? <laughs> So a lot, I mean, it's often hard to find that really good, crisp voice that, you know, sort of translates into radio or into recordings very well. And so, you know, we called on our neighbors and our friends and friends of friends and that sort of thing in order to do them. And some of our staff did them as well. Um, Because it's COVID, it's kind of hard to go out and and actively recruit, but we're hoping to sort of touch into some of the acting community and that sort of thing in future generations of this in order to get their voices. A leaf is on everything from the Canadian flag to juicies of Toronto's hockey team. Go Leafs, go! Want to know a secret? The one place our leaf isn't the penny. So one of the things we're trying to articulate when it comes to the the trees is the different personalities from the trees. So by using different voices for different trees, some people, you know, this gentleman actually, when when he was approached to do one of the trees, he says, oh, the white pine is my favorite tree. I'd really love to do that one. You weren't twisting anybody's arm in this one. It sounds like people were just hopping on board. (laughs) They were hopping on board all over the place. And in fact, I have a number of people that we had requested or asked 
and they they are all on board but they didn't get to us fast enough in order for this time around so we've got a list of people for the next generation or the next trail or the the next group of trees so okay sounds like you're already thinking ahead that this could be uh, something that takes me through the entire forest absolutely so one of the things we're, we're actually working on a second generation of the app already um, with our app developer that's going to give us the ability when you open up the app you'll be able to pick the type of trail the type of experience you want so maybe it's a, a forest bathing experience or maybe it's a first nations walk and a medicine walk for medicine plants or you know it could be you know something geared to curriculum within the schools so if the schools have a curriculum based program that they wanted to bring to this we could do it that way you know one of the beautiful things about this program and one of the reasons that we were inspired to do it is because it allows families to come out and experience the forest in a different way. But we can build in education into this so easily so that the schools can bring their students out even if they're on, you know, sort of working from home kind of situation. You can still say, hey, if you go out to Ken Reed Forest and you do this trail, then you'll be able to get all the information you need in order to do your book report or whatever it happens to be, your forest report. So here's my hardball question, uh, yeah. Christy. For the cynic who says, you know what, you're bringing technology into the forest, you got kids who are going to be looking at their phone, adults looking at their phone, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's taking away from the experience of being in nature. Why can't they just do it that way, the way we did it in the old days? What do you tell that person? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is bringing technology into the forest. But I think we have to accept the fact that if this next generation is going to get engaged with the forest the way that we want them to this is sort of the gateway into doing that the other thing that you know from an interpretive sign type of situation if i wanted to put these kind these kinds of signs up and change them up as often as i can with the app it, we would have signs all over the all over the conservation area and then that's really taking away from the natural experience the beautiful thing about this app is like i don't have to look at my phone so I'm not looking at my phone. There's absolutely, in fact, when we developed it, I said to the developer, yes, a picture of the tree so people know what they're looking at. But other than that, I don't want any information on the app because it's not about looking at your phone. It's about looking around. It's about listening to the story and, and connecting with the forest in that way. Happy birthday, Advocate Podcast. This is Cassie from Cameron calling, a solid alliteration. Uh, I'm so glad that there's a podcast that I can listen to that has people that I know in my community and people that I could get to know. It's so cool. Um, and I hope you keep doing it. Thank you. The Advocate Podcast and Advocate Magazine and Advocate Online is 100% local media. Our publisher is Roderick Benz. He joins me now, virtually of course, to discuss the uniqueness of the February edition of The Advocate Magazine. Roderick, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Denny. Great to be here. Okay, well, whereas issues of the magazine are typically a mix of stories and issues surrounding Kawartha Lakes, much like this podcast, really, the uh, February uh, issue is largely centered on unions. What led to that decision? Yeah, uh, The Advocate has always been about social wellness from its very first issue. And so what's the collective good for our community? That's the way we always frame things. So unions are like many communities, I think. So we reached out to Professor Dennis Raphael at York University, 
to write one of our feature articles in this month's issue. He's probably the leading academic in Canada on the social determinants of health. Unions, because they negotiate for better wages and working conditions, mean the jobs that they offer tend to give those who are lucky enough to have them more benefits. And that's including health, literally your physical health, your mental health, and so on. In your uh, in your regular column, Ben's belief, you uh, you noted that the generation that you belong to, Generation X, has known two different worlds when it comes to unions. Maybe you can elaborate on that. What I meant by that is that I'm young enough to remember when the factories were humming in the east end of Lindsay, and people I knew, including family members, had decent jobs at these places that paid a living wage. Many of these industries back then had unions too, but yet I'm also old enough to have watched the free trade agreements get signed, globalization kick in, to see those same factories get shuttered as we decided to let China or Mexico or Indonesia be the places that made the things and we'd be content with buying what they made and saving a few bucks because of the economy of scale that was created when we did that. So was that a good trade for us to have made? I think the evidence is in and the middle class got shafted. My name is Maria Francis from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. The show must and will go on. The Quarth Lakes Food Source's annual stand-up comedy fundraiser will not be deterred by these unique times. Wednesday, March 17, mark that day in your calendar and get ye to your internet machine and watch a live-streamed, all-professional show for only 22 bucks. And this one is special in another way. It features Rebecca Reeds. Now, I first met Rebecca when I was playing a comedy club in Ottawa years ago, and she was working part-time as a server, but also working out on stage as an up-and-coming stand-up. And she was good from the get-go. I don't say that lightly. Smart material, likable stage presence. That set her apart from her peers. Well, Rebecca's not an up-and-comer anymore. She has arrived. She has a CD. She now headlines clubs tours the country. You may even know her from her appearance at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Oh, and the other reason I was super excited for her success, she's based in Toronto now, but Kawartha Lakes is Rebecca's hometown. I caught up with Rebecca virtually a few days ago for this feature interview. Please welcome to stage the amazing Rebecca Reeds! Let's imagine we're both back at IE Weldon Secondary School and you were the president, which you were, of the student council. And it's after a student council meeting, and I turn to you and I go, hey, Rebecca, you know what, just based on what I've seen, how you interact, I can just tell that, you know, in the next five, ten years, you're going to be a, you're going to be a working stand-up comedian. What do you think that 18-year-old or that 17-year-old Rebecca would have said to that? I don't know. That's such a hard question to answer, because I think I would genuinely, firstly, I would be flattered for sure. I've always been a big fan of stand-up comedy like that was one thing that we could definitely agree on in my house was to watch stand-up comedy but I don't think that that was my thought at all at that moment 
I probably would have laughed at them and been like, ah, whatever, you're just lying. I think my big dream in high school was kind of to make music videos. I think my parents were kind of a little more apprehensive of doing anything that was more artistic. Like I had applied for a photography program out of high school and they were like, maybe something a little more safe. And I went into accounting and now I'm a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I'm a bit of a hillbilly. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. <laughs> I love living in Toronto, but I hate it at the same time because people always think I have an accent. They get very excited because they think I'm from somewhere cool or I'm doing something awesome, right? They always ask me, they're always like, oh my God, Rebecca, where are you from? Where is that from? I'm just like, oh, it's just from a lack of education. <laughs> so you're hearing, I'm a hillbilly. Let's pretend we're closer in age and not the 300 years apart that we are. If you had told me as a peer at, at Weldon that, hey, you know what, Denise, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking of becoming a stand-up comic. What would my reaction have been to that? Well, I think if you were an astute peer, you might be like, yes, it seems like you use humor as a defense mechanism. So maybe that would be a good route for you. I think I can really look back on it now and be like, oh, I really see what I was doing at the time. I needed this outlet, this, I wasn't a very, I wasn't really in touch with my emotions. That's kind of how I would communicate things. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's why I'm in this job now. <laughs> I love going fishing. I'm all about it. Okay. I love fishing. I think more people would go fishing if they knew what fishing is about. And that is just drinking, okay? <laughs> That's all fishing is. It's all it is, right? Like, honestly, every time I go out with my dad, he throws me a beer before we even get into the boat. He's like, gotta drink like a fish to think like a fish. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. I started working at the comedy club specifically because I wanted to do comedy. That's why I was in there. I was too nervous and too anxious just to sign up for a night. Why not? I well, want. Why is that? Why were you too anxious and too? I don't know. I think I was in an improv troupe at first. I was in an, uh, the Carlton Improv Group. I was in the CIA. That was really fun, but I didn't. It didn't exactly scratch the creative itch that I had. I wanted something a little more personal. I wanted something maybe that I had written and thought that stand-up comedy would be a good hobby. At no point did I think it was going to be a career for me. I just thought, oh, this will be another good outlet for me because I need these. Why did you need but those? I, why did you need that outlet? I don't, I can't, I don't even know if I can exactly explain why. It's just always something that I've had. Like, I always need to be creative in some manner, like... Even even in baking, I like to sew. I like to, um, I, don't, I don't, anything creative, I've just kind of latch onto it. It's um, therapeutic in a way, I think. But you didn't take a baking I, class or a cooking class. You came to a comedy club. So how was it that comedy, that you saw comedy as, as a way to channel that creativity? I think there's something rewarding, more rewarding in the moment. There's something... I, I, I honestly think it's it, it acts like a drug, to be perfectly honest, because as somebody that went in thinking, oh, this is going to be a hobby and then stepped out with a job, it was because it's so addictive. I never thought I thought it was going to be just like 
you know, looking into start to sew, I guess there must have been something deep down where I was like, no, maybe there's something a little more to this. Maybe you're not willing to admit to yourself that this means a little more to you. It's crazy when you go fishing. I mean, you got to load up, right? We get our we get our rods, fish finders, dynamite. We get out there. and uh, But all fishermen have like a weird tip or trick that doesn't make any sense. If you go with like a real fisherman, right? Like one time I was out with my dad. We hadn't caught anything for like five, six hours. And he goes, oh, it's time for the secret move. <laughs> And he pulls me in and he whispers it to me, I guess so the fish won't hear. I don't know what he's doing, right? So he goes, okay, here's what we're gonna do, all right? I'm gonna spin this canoe and do a really tight circle. It's gonna make the line whistle and we're gonna catch a fish. I was like, did a fish tell you that? The first time I had ever done stand-up, I went into Montreal their open mic night, you had to sign up in advance. One of my friends from the comedy club drove me up and kind of prepped me the whole way up, was like, okay, like, um, you, you might lose feeling in your arms if you're too nervous or like watch out for this or watch out for that, giving me tips. And I got, I think like three laughs maybe. Honestly, today I would say that was a bomb. It was an absolute bomb. I couldn't feel my arms and apparently, and I did not know this, I screamed my entire set because I had only ever done like theater and improv and the concept of having a microphone in my hand was beyond me. So I was like, girl, you gotta project. You gotta let the people know. And I screamed my whole set. And I think that's kind of why they were laughing at me because I was so out of touch with what was happening. And even after all that, even though I couldn't feel my arms and like the blood was, I could just feel, I could feel every cell in my body. The moment I got off stage, I was like, oh, I gotta do that again. Like, oh, that was like, it's it's such an adrenaline rush. It feels so amazing. You immediately become addicted to it. Okay, I think all women should buy men's t-shirts. I'm all about it. Let me sell you on this for just a hot second, okay? Lot of shoulder room, very soft. Says you're an extra small, okay? Yeah, <laughs> giddy up, love it, I love it. <laughs> But people always comment, I don't know why, like they always want to talk to me, but they're always like, oh, Rebecca, for straight woman, so much menswear, so much menswear. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they actually taught us about that in school. It's the number one rule for success, right? Dress for the salary you want, <laughs> not the one you have. <laughs> Men don't like that joke, I don't know why. I'm just wondering how your own upbringing in Lindsay in a small town with no comedy club to speak of. How did that help shape you as a comic and, and as a performer? And I can see you smiling already, so. <laughs> I think it shaped it a fair bit. When you live in a small town, you got to create your own fun. You know what I mean? Like, it's really about, you know, finding your pockets of enjoyment. Um, you don't, not everything around you is constantly stimulating, right? Especially like I grew up in a time where we didn't have, I, I don't think I had a cell phone until I was 16. I think it really did shape a lot of my comedy because there were all these little pockets of weird that you could just kind of pick up on that people in the city would be like, what did you just say? Okay, like, des okay describe one of those pockets to me and, and let's hopefully not mention any specific <laughs> communities in Kawartha Lakes, but go ahead. Um, like one time with uh, with my parents, and I can't, I, I can't even remember why or what happened to produce this, but uh, there were ants all over our ceiling and there were just like, 
literally like 40 ants on our ceiling and we're looking at them we're like what do we what do you even do and my dad just smiled and pulled out a box of elastics and was said bet i could win and then that was just three hours of us sitting around trying to get ants off the ceiling with elastics with, with, with little finger gun elastics yeah just finger gunning the whole time <laughs> if somebody starts yelling at you and you work minimum wage call the manager all right so i call the manager immediately i'm like i'm not doing this right she comes running over she is upset because i do this every day <laughs> i do this every day right so she's so pissed off at me she gets in there she goes okay she shoots the woman out right away she's like get out of here we're not doing it buy it or leave go right but she immediately starts feeding into me she's very upset she's rebecca you do this every day i don't understand why you keep doing this why do you keep doing this I was like, I don't know, she was yelling at me, you yell at me, I thought you'd get along. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things for a comedian of any age to find their voice. Tell me about that journey to find your own voice on stage and who you are and what you have to say. I think it's almost, unfortunately, sometimes I think it's indescribable because when you talk to comedians who feel like they've found their voice, and I do feel like I've found mine, um, they all describe just this moment, and I completely agree with it. I, I kind of thought they were full of it uh, when I first heard this idea of like, no, it just kind of switches on for you. You don't, th there's nothing you can really do to make it happen other than keep doing comedy. And then one day you'll get on stage and you'll be, you'll say, yes, this is it. This makes sense. I finally can talk to this group of people like I've been talking to my friends my entire life, the way I make them laugh, the way I can make strangers laugh, I have now been able to translate that skill onto stage. And I think it might just be a lot, it could be a loss of nerves. Um, it could be the loss of, you know, a certain pursuit. Sometimes we get obsessed with certain identities or ideas and you reach a certain moment where you go, well, none of this is working. I'm just going to I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try being myself. And that's what works. It took me five, I think five years to get to the point where I was like, this feels good. This is comfortable. This feels natural. A little ranty, I think. <laughs> um, a little angry. I think I might be my funniest when I'm a little mad about the subject I'm speaking of. I think my voice is always better when I'm talking about something I actually care about, even if it sounds silly. Sometimes I make silly jokes about things that I really care about. I think it's honestly, I think it's so cool if you shave your head as a woman. Like I fight that on a daily basis, that urge. I want to so bad. Uh, and I love asking women how they did it, like when they did it, how they did it, right? I'm very intrigued. Most have very basic answers. I went to the barber, I was crying in front of a mirror, whatever, you know what I mean? And. But I think as a woman, you have an opportunity, right? You can change some lives, okay? I have a fantasy where I take a pair of portable clippers in my purse, okay? And I just walk around the streets of Toronto and just wait for the first person that tells me to smile. Oh, oh, oh and I'm just gonna shave one right in the top of my head. You're like, is that what you meant, <laughs> right? Because I want to have the follow-up conversation of that. 
Because somebody will ask me. They'll be like, oh, did you donate your hair to kids with cancer too? <laughs> and it's like, no, I ruined a man's life, okay? <laughs> I did something with my day. <laughs> what will it be like for you performing, albeit virtually, in front of friends and neighbors for this, this upcoming show? Oh, always nervous. You know, always a little more nervous. But I think the the virtual side of it takes the edge off a little bit. It's uh, I've always been one to not like to see the people I know in the club that I'm performing at or wherever I'm performing. If somebody does come to see me, normally I'll kind of take them aside and be like, could you, would you mind just like sitting closer to the back? So I don't look at your face. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, always a little more pressure, but I'm also really excited to have the chance to talk about specific things. <laughs> things that maybe people that live outside of Kawartha Lakes wouldn't necessarily understand. I'm really looking forward to making some uh, Lindsay specific material. That's it for me guys, thank you so my name is Rebecca Reeds, now living in Toronto and working as a stand-up comedian. But my hometown is Lindsay, and you are listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Stand-up comic and Lindsay native Rebecca Reeds, performing as part of the annual Kawartha Lakes Food Sources Comedy Fundraiser, streamed live online this year, Wednesday, March 17. Tickets are only 22 bucks. More info on the Food Sources Facebook page. Okay, zip up your coat, unravel the strings from your mittens, and let's take one last walk inside the talking forest at Ken Reed, where I, um, full disclosure, I hear from a stump with an oddly familiar voice. Here in a big windstorm, and my branches were likely to fall on people as they walked on the trail. So the team here at Court the Conservation, well, they took me down. Why am I happy about that? Well, because I can teach you something most other trees can't. Okay, Christy, I recognize that voice, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you do. And it's a little unnerving <laughs> hearing my own voice as a tree stump, as my producer. My as a hundred-year-old tree stump. <laughs> as a hundred-year-old with, with receding tree lines. That's right. How did I do? And be totally honest, how did I do? Fantastic. In fact, when I was playing them for, for my staff as we were collecting all the different recordings and everything else, the, it was absolutely hands down, this one had to make the cut because they absolutely loved it. Well, yeah. it sounds appropriate. I made the cut. Yeah. I'm a tree stump that has been cut. <laughs> all that right. has been cut. I'll take it. <laughs> and see if you can see how old I am. Some of those rings are hard to see, aren't they? Well, the I'm sure you've seen these people walking through here with, with their phone in their hand and maybe a pair of headphones on and just kind of sauntering slowly. What's it like for you when, when you see that? I love it. I, you know what? There's no wrong way to enjoy the natural environment. And so if that's what works, you know, there's people that come out and listen to music while they go running on the trail. There's people that come out and listen to their audiobook as they go for a walk, you know, and that's, that's perfectly fine. Who am I to tell them that take that off and listen to the birds call? Um, you know, if that's what gives them a sense of purpose or a sense of belonging, then go for it. When I see people using this app, it fills my heart with joy because it, it just goes to demonstrate that people are looking for ways to connect with nature. And it's easy for me to say, hey, just go out and hug a tree and connect that way because that's the way that I do it, but everybody's different. And so I like the fact that this offers other people a different opportunity. Everybody.
all sorts of kinds of different aspen trees. I think you may have met my timid cousin, the trembling aspen. If not, you will likely encounter him a little later on your walk. Check out The Talking Forest anytime at Ken Reed. It's free, provided you have data on your phone. Totally worth it. Remember, you can talk with the doc February 16 and March 2. It is a free virtual town hall with our medical officer of health, Dr. Ian Gemmel. Sign up via our health unit's website. Get your tickets now for the Food Source Comedy Fundraiser March 17, featuring Rebecca Reeds. Contact the Kawartha Lakes Food Source for that. And remember to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram or IG, as the kids refer to it, Twitter, and our very own Facebook page. We are sponsored exclusively by Ward's Lawyers. Find out what Jason and Carissa and their team can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Our theme and musical bridges, written and performed by Gerald Van Halteren. Great musician, great music teacher. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is produced by me, Denny Grignell. Send us a note. We'd love to hear your thoughts and story ideas. And remember, when you are called, roll up that sleeve. Talk to you in a few weeks. Congratulations to me. This is wonderful. I love listening to the podcast. And uh, best wishes for another year. Many happy returns.